going to do? We're going to say good morning. Um, we're going to study uh, more on God's will. We're going to go through some verses that actually talk about God's will. So you can turn, before as we're getting ready to pray, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I pray you all had a good week. So, let's... It's been a crazy week. Let's see. Uh, last Sunday it was 77, wasn't it? Something like that? 76? Wednesday it was snow and we couldn't have church. Uh, okay, and today it's going to rain. And it's going to be between those two degrees. Pardon me? 62 today, but it's going to be quite humid. So we'll be feel like South Florida winter. That's, that's what it'll be like. So let's pray and we'll begin class. Father God, we again are... Honored that we can come before you and gather together as a body of believers to hear from you, to look into your word, to grasp the concept of your will for our will, and that we do have the freedoms to choose, and sometimes we make bad choices. And Father, we pray that we become better choosers as we become better students of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I, uh, part of last week I talked about 1 Timothy 2.4, and I want to go into it just a little deeper and then go through about four or five other sets of verses that have to do with, that's, that says clearly this is the will of God, and, and we're going to go through that and grasp that. Um, and what I want to do is talk about the nuggets that, that Scripture has. And if we line up with the expressed will, the known will of God, It'll be easier to do the unknown will of God. And I think too many people uh, overthink it in their life. They want to know if it's God's will if they have strawberry ice cream versus chocolate ice cream. I mean, it's, it's some of the things I've heard out of believers, I have to pray about that. Um, I've never seen anybody go into an ice cream shop and pray which flavors. They just say, let me have the tester spoon of eight of these different ones, and then I'll take whichever one I want. And when you have the eight, you'll say, I'm done. I've had my full. So, you know, everybody's got their own opinion about things. And you're allowed to have opinions and make choices based on those opinions. Um, when somebody tells me we have no free will, i got to go back to then we can't make any choices. You either have a free will and it, and it works in conjunction with God's or you don't. And I think we, as human beings, express our free will often and we do make bad choices. Right? And some of us have to pay the consequences to those bad choices. And prayerfully, as we grow as a believer, and I'm going to say this again, as we grow as a believer, our choices get better and honor him. So let's look at 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, and uh, who, well, verse 3, just for context, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of, of the truth. So here's what we looked at uh, previously. Uh, and I think one of the questions that come out of this, before we really address this verse a whole lot, is uh, why does God have such a struggle to get his viewpoint into us when we have such a struggle spending time with his word? And I think those two go in hand in hand. We struggle with Bible time. Now, I'm not going to do a poll. My name is not Barner, so I don't do you know Christian polls. But I will say this. Inevitably, most believers, and to take this to heart, you know, sometimes i got to be straightforward with my darts. Most believers spend very little time in God's Word. Most believers spend time in the various things in the world that we've got to be involved in. We've got to work, so we're in a work environment that's more than likely worldly. We're in a uh, social environment because of that work, and it's worldly. We're turning on the news, and I don't know if you know this, even Fox News is, wor- is worldly. I know that's a shock a few of you, but sorry, Fox News is not run by God. Uh, you know, so even though some people in there think they may be God, um, politics, we're going to be uh, overwhelmed with politics in the next coming months because we have a presidential election and other elections that are going on. And that is worldly. And you're going to hear a lot of, even in debates, whether there's a debate with just the Democratic side or just the Republican side or both mixed together, you're still going to have worldly points of view. Uh, you read the ticker tapes on the bottom of your news channels. Those are worldly points of view. We're inundated with it. How much do we take in God's Word? The only way to get God's viewpoint is read His Word. It's not going to fall from the sky and, and land in your lap and say, Oh, I've got God's viewpoint. And the moment we're studying God's Word, the purpose of studying God's Word is to think God's thoughts after Him. 
Not to say, hey, this is new and I got this information in me and I understand this new uh, concept or whatever it might be. We're studying the Bible to understand how God's mind works and get his viewpoint. You with me? That's the reason we study the Bible. So how many of you, no show of hands, I'm just putting it out there, even spend time reading the Bible and then find time that it's difficult. Oh, I haven't read it in four or five days. I haven't spent time for this amount of time because you have a made time. And if you made time, something gets in the way. Or all of a sudden you go, how did I let that time get away from me? And I think one of the things studying the Bible requires of us is being good stewards of our time management, of our management of how we're doing things. Some of us need to be more... Um, clear how we're going to do our studies and what we're going to do and define that and say here's the time I'm going to put aside not be legalistic about it because that can in itself can be damaging but we should be spending time with God because if we say well I spent three hours with God this week and nine hours with news and work or or work you know what eight times five at least 40 hour week right some of you uh, so 40 hours of work and it's seven to, to ten hours of news and you spend two hours with God the whole week Who's winning? Just by numbers, you know who's winning. Uh, and that's, that's the difficulty. So if we don't have, think those thoughts. So we come here, uh, on Sunday to learn the Word of God together and sometimes on Wednesday. So we got three hours we're gonna shove in and say we're gonna force some of the Word of God in us. And when we get it, I know it'll all be application because the pastor helped me put it in, into play in my life. He knows my life and knows all the whims and whams of what I'm doing. So he can help me apply it to my life. And I'll walk out with that, with that needed, uh, extra air put into my flattened tire because the week was crappy. Right? And you go, that works. I went to church and guess what? I am an inflated Christian. And all week long you're doing what? Because, because you're not getting anything. And I, I'll be as uh, frank as I can be with all of you. I am not your Holy Spirit. I know that just shocked a few of you. You know, Eric said this, i got to do that. No, spend time in the Word of God and prayerfully, as we do this study, or next, next hour we're doing Matthew, or on Wednesday night we're doing Isaiah, we hit some things that, that spark you to go search scriptures for yourself. And I'm going to tell you something, uh, this is by experience. The more you search the scriptures, the more it becomes a part of you because you found it. You discovered it. You sought in scripture. You you found something that worked in your life because, again, I don't know what's going on in your life and you don't know really what's going on in my life unless I come up here and be a little transparent about something. You don't know. So when we go to Scripture, especially a Scripture like this, we've got to say, how will we use this to get God's divine viewpoint? So, God, the first thing we have here, and I think we spoke on it last week, is God desires all men to be saved. Right? Is that your desire? You see where I'm going? If that's not your desire, your will has to line up with God's will. You want God's will in the small things in life, and you can't even get the big one, which is God desires all men to be saved. And you've run into people that aren't saved, and you say, should I give them the gospel? How can I get the gospel to them? Can I, can I get just a piece of paper, track, and get it to them? Which is fine. You know? How do I do that? But is it your desire to just look at the guy and say, nah, let him die, and he's bound for, and let him go. You know, and that's not God. God saying here, He desires, and I think we need to look at this: all men to be saved. So, and here's what's interesting: the words that it says to be saved is in an infinitive. It's a verb that's in the infinitive, which means this is the purpose. God's purpose is for all men to be saved. So that's God's ideal situation. Wouldn't it be great if we could say all everyone that we've ever run into are believers? How would that work out? How much better would society be? You know, I mean, if you look at it, most of our problems is because why? We're all humans. We, we all have a sin nature and we all don't get along. And so going back to, again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, um, what we do is, and we look at, not only is it an infinitive, it's also an aorist. It's an event. God's purpose is all men to come to an event in their life that they're saved. They've come to a saving knowledge of him. So we got these two things going on. God's, God's desire is all men to find an event, an aorist tense just as an event. It doesn't mean past, present, or future, but obviously it's going to be in some past time, right? And it's an event. 
It's not saying I'm saved and kind of working on my salvation every day. That's not what's here. God wants everyone to come to his saving knowledge of his son. Uh, And basically, he wants action on an event, and the event would be salvation. Therefore, God's purpose is for all, all men is that they have the event of salvation upon them, that they, they are saved. How does that work out? Well, we know from other verses, they have faith in what Christ has done, and they what? Believe it. What else do you have to do to be saved? That's a trick question, right? Just believe it, right? We go into John's Gospel, especially John uh, 6.27, John 5.24, it says what? Just believe Everybody wants to hang something on it. But here's the second thing in here. I think we missed something because this applies to us. When you're saved, when you've come to that event, and that's God's desire, so we could say, hey, I've met God's desire. I'm a believer, and I'm saved. Then he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's, that's where the jabs start occurring. Uh, how much of God's word is truth? That, this is a question you can answer out loud. All of it, okay? All of it. So there's 66 books, and if you ever hear somebody saying, uh, well, we don't teach the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament. It's not for us today. Uh, only what, We only teach the New Testament, or, or we only major in Paul's books. There's an issue there, right? They're missing out of all the truth. So the truth we have is the content from Genesis to Revelation, and God wants us to know this. Now, this is an indictment to all of us. Um, I haven't come to know all of God's word and all of God's truth, uh, neither of you. But that God's goal is for us to do that. God desires for us to come to that knowledge. Uh, and, and that's a process as we look at that. So God's desire not, includes, not only includes salvation by faith, but also to know the truth. So God's second purpose is to develop those who are believers. It's interesting, the word for knowledge here is epinosis. And I know many of you have been exposed to that word. And I like using it like this. It's super knowledge. It's super knowledge. It's knowledge, and the word epi, E-P-I, is put on front. And E-P-I is an intensifier. So I say super knowledge. So when we look at God's word, we're getting God's truth, which is getting God's viewpoint, God's values for life. We're getting all of those things in his word. And we've got to question ourselves, how well are we doing? So you can say, hey, I, if we took a test, two-part exam, two questions, are you saved? Well, we could put three parts. Let's put three parts. Are you saved? Are your desires for other people to be saved? And how's your knowledge of the word of God doing? Is it growing? Is it advancing? Are you getting super knowledge? Are you, are, and I would say this the same way I would say it to anybody. Are you better than you were last week? Are, are you better than we were last month, last year, five years ago? Are you growing? You could measure it by, here's where I am in my knowledge of the truth. And I think that's interesting. And I'm going to say this, again, with this word epinosis. We could even say maximum, maximum knowledge uh, or maximum truth-knowing. Okay, uh, we could say this, and I'm going to give you some some hints. Um, first of all, is your is your understanding in some kind of notebook? Have you taken notes? If you have, that's wonderful. But if your knowledge is in a notebook, and you're talking to somebody, you say, "Hey, listen, I got to go to notebook 16, page 38, and figure out what that was." Or have you taken notes, gone through your notes, and now it becomes part of your thinking? Because you can take notes all you want. And the notes are helpful. I will say this. If you just listen to sermons or listen to teachings, you're going to remember probably 5% of what you heard. I will even do this. I'll be the, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say you spend an hour in a sermon and you remember 10% of it the second you walk out those doors. I will guarantee you a week later, you will know three or four or maybe less than that percent. Because why? Out of sight, out of mind. And you'll say something to me, and people have done this. They'll say, hey, pastor, your sermon last week really influenced me and really gave me these thoughts, and they'll tell me what they thought, and I go, I didn't even teach that. You walked out the door, you had some thoughts, you started meandering with your thoughts, and you needed something in your life, and you came back, and what your thought may be great, but I didn't give it to you, and it was not part of the sermon because you didn't remember anything. Here's the kicker now. You write it down, you're, going to, you're probably going to remember 25% when you walk out that door. If you do not review them, you'll remember less than 10%. 
That's how the mind works. How many of you ever took notes in school? You were really good note takers in school. And, but you never reviewed them. How would you do on the test? You'd probably say, well, I passed the test. Okay, I passed the test. Then if you went back and rewrote your notes, how did you do the second time? How's that test? Didn't your test scores what? Elevate a little bit? Listen, I learned something from cheating. If you write your notes real small and meticulous and remember and try to jot down what notes you need, you won't need those notes to, to use. You will, you will pass the test because it's now putting in your, in your mind what that is. I could still tell you from a test that I was going to cheat on, my government answers to this day because I made them so small, so meticulous because I wanted to pass that test and they never used it. And I did pass the test. Uh, to much of my history teacher's consternation. He said, what? Uh, we were pretty close at that time. And he says, Eric got an A on the test? I was, I was a B to C in his class because uh, most of the time I was messing around and getting in trouble. So, but you remember more. So the, the point I'm saying is when you're exposed to God's word, what do you do to keep it? What do you do to make it part of your thinking? Uh, uh, and, and think about this. Uh, when we talk about this idea of, of maximum truth in you, uh, are we doing things to advance to knowing the truth? What are we doing for us to understand more and more truth? And I'm going to tell you, there's some hard passages in Scripture. Do you know that? And know what most people will ask me questions on? The hard passages of Scripture. And I say, do you understand the easy ones yet? The ones that are clear and profound. And they'll say, no. I go, then why are you working with the hard? Go back to the easy. Understand the easy. Go, de- go to the next step. Find ones that are a, a little bit more difficult. And so on and so forth. But they always want to ask the difficult ones. And I say, why don't you take some time understanding what you need to understand first. So the basic here is what? You need to be saved. What does it take to be saved? You need to have a heart for other people to come to the Lord. What does that take? And then you need to start growing in his in knowledge of him. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of these uh, epinosis, these super knowledge values of the faith of the truth. What are we, what are just a couple of them? Let's just talk about them. Um, or or I would say, how do we come to harmony with God's will and God's word? That'd probably be better. First of all, identify what God wants. When we're talking about God's will in, in our life and doing God's will, uh, what does God desire? Uh, because when you say, I want to know what, what, how to make a better choice, and we're talking about us making choices and free to make choices, and I want to spend uh, quality time making good choices, have you spent quality time finding out what God desires? Uh, if we were to do a study of the Bible on God's will, have you ever just done a search on two words, put in that search engine, God and will. And it'll pop up a bunch of places, both those words together. That's what we're going to start with this morning. We're going to look at those, some of those verses that have those two ideas together. And we got to say, if this is God's will, how am I doing on just knowing God's will? So we got to identify what God wants. Secondly, we have to identify the options relative to, relative to our own experience. Um, what in my what in my life what in my life am I at war with? What am I what am I struggling with? And all of us and I can look around the room. We're all struggling with issues, probably. Okay, and your issues are not my issues, and I have issues, right? And I think we all could say we have what issues. Okay. Uh, so, but secondly, what what stops us from accomplishing? The number one thing, which is identifying God's will. What stops us from being in the Word? What, what's in our way? What, if we were to set a priority list and say, I'm going to spend time in God's Word and something out in the way, what was it? And maybe you have to remove it for a while. Um, when the kids were younger, I got rid of cable TV because I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning watching curling. Anybody ever watch curling? I know some of you will be anesthetized by it, but I, you know, I, was, I had sports. I like sports. The kids liked the Disney Channel. They both went, gone, because it was taking time, and I felt like it was controlling. So you get rid of things. So I got rid of, got rid of that for a while, and I learned to do without, and I was fine. And curling, I don't even know what it is today. 
I do know what indoor bowling is, though, which is fascinating. But that's a whole different issue. Um, Because I got issues. Secondly, within that, identifying the options, what stops me, we said this, what stops us from doing that? What stops us from being in God's Word? Thirdly, what takes precedence over spending time in God's Word? What, what, and look at that, identify it. Say, TV, uh, too much, you know, uh, outside activities. Uh, and, and I would say the number one thing is still gonna be always TV at some point, or news, or the internet, or whatever it might be. That's taking time. Um, and I would say, don't start big. Some of you will say, okay, we're going to start as a family. We're going to have Bible study. And we're going to do Bible study one hour every night. Don't do that. That will be the most frustrating thing you've ever done. And you'll be doing things. And nobody's going to be happy in that family, especially you. That's not going to happen. Start small. Build. Make it entertaining. Make it something that's part of... And I don't mean like a production number... And then the Bible opens up in this magnificent way, and da da. I'm just making, make sure all of, if you're doing family, make sure everybody's engaged. So maybe 10 minutes. And it may be, here's a passage of scripture, here's what God's saying. What, what do you see what God's saying? What's being done here? Uh, ask good questions. Do not ask questions, especially to kids. How do you feel about this verse? Because I don't care what, I don't care what most of you feel about a verse. Sorry. I want to know what you think it says and how you get what it says. Do the same thing with children. Children are not goofy. They've just got to be trained. And the best way to do it is ask good questions. Have them ask good questions. Children asking good questions means they're what? Thinking God's word after them. Um, thirdly, the third thing is make decisions that give God word a priority. When you're making decisions, and it's a great sign of spiritual maturity because you're saying, here's what God's word says, here's what God's word in- entices me to do and, inv- and wants me to do, and I will make my decisions based on those things. Okay? Uh, that's a good place to start. And then as you start that cycle and be continuous in that, and we look at other things that are involved, you'll see how God's will and his words coming in you and it's more him than you you understand what i'm saying and i think some people look at something in christian life that if i do this today god will do this for me tomorrow don't go into anything and saying if i do this god will do that god wants you in his word god wants you to study his word god wants this he wants you to grow in truth do what god wants forget about saying well god will do this because then you're dealing with uh, mysticism into the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. Now remember... Paul is dealing with believers. He's dealing with the church at Ephesus uh, that have been taught by various people that are very that we would think are like the scholars of Bible. And these, this church has been taught very well. But but Paul says this in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, and walk is how you live life. So you can put that in there. Uh, be careful how you live life, how you live the Christian life out. Be careful how you live the Christian life out. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, this is a play on words. It, it, you know, because if you say the word wise and say, what's the opposite of wise, most of you would say what? Huh? You're cheating. Don't look at unwise. It's not an opposite. <laughs> huh? Foolish? Okay, could it, we could even say stupid. Don't live life stupidly, right? Um, but we don't want to call and be stupid, right? We just want to say you're living life stupidly, but you're not stupid. You know, we don't want to be nasty. But what Paul is saying here is very interesting. He's using the word sophos. Sophos is where we get our word sophomore from. You know why they're called sophomores? They think they know everything. They've left being a freshman, and now they know everything. They're very wise in their lives. And it's a kind of a play on words. So when we talk about wise, here's what God's saying. If you're wise, you're living out God's viewpoint. That's what he's saying. If you're unwise, which is just taking the word sophos and putting an A in front of it, putting an alpha primitive, that means it's negative. So you're not wise. Okay? There's only two ways to live life. Um, two ways to live life is God's viewpoint or human viewpoint. Um, so that we could just do it this way. 
when we want to know what God's viewpoint is, we're living a wise life. We can walk circumspectly. We can walk in the Christian life correctly because we're living what? By God's viewpoint, right? But if we're living unwise, we're living by whose viewpoint? Your own. Your own. You know, what did Frank Sinatra said? I think it was Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. Yeah, well, do, go ahead. Do it your way, and that's living an unwise life, and you won't walk according, uh, accordingly, uh, which is interesting. Cause, but it says in verse 16, uh, it says, but making the most of your time because the days are evil. That means if you're walking in a wise way, you're doing it because you're in the... Listen, if you don't know this, this is evil out here. We're walking in evil. Uh, uh, not just bad, it's evil. And as we look at that, we have to have the wisdom from God to walk in this life. Right? Or, what, or things in life will overwhelm us, and that will take, uh, t- take over us. It's, it's interesting because it goes on. So then, verse 16, 17, So then do not be foolish. Different word now. Don't be a moron. I know, that sounds strong in church, that right? But he's telling believers, believers can be what? Now, I don't know if counseling would work out with you if you had a counseling shingle out and you, I'm a Christian counselor and somebody come in and you see they're living life according to their way and doing things their way and don't care about God's word and you say to them, well, this, this counseling session is going to cost you $75, but you're a moron. I don't know how that would go over. I don't know how the person would respond to that, but this is God's counseling. He's saying, if you're living life according to your own way, doing your own thing, you're a moron. Because I've given you everything you need for life and godliness, and you're doing your own thing. You're a moron. Get what I'm saying? Now, uh, it, the hardest thing is when you've got younger kids in here, and they're going to walk out saying, oh, people are morons. And believe-. Stop that. What, what we're trying to do is understand how to live Christian life according to God's will and word. And as we look at this, he's saying, he's saying, so then do not be foolish, but understand, understand, listen, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now I'm going to tell you a little hint. This will help your Bible study. You want to know what the will of God is? Read the rest of Ephesians. Because the rest of Ephesians is going to explain what he just said. In other words, if you want an understanding of what the will of God is, read the rest. Because the very next verse goes in it, do not be drunk with wine. For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, and so on and so forth. It talks about wives, how to deal with their husbands. Husbands, how to love your wives. It talks about children obeying their parents. This is the will of God. This is the design for the family. Where is the Word of God lived out mostly and best? It's in the family, right? And if you have a dysfunctional family, you know that doesn't happen. But God says, here's how to do that. Here's how to work that out. Uh, which is, here, go back to that word in verse 17. Understand. Know what the word means? It's to bring or set together. It's This understanding is to tie the action of God and the Holy Spirit into your life, to tie in those things, to come together with an understanding. It's used in the parables. It's not used the physical hearing uh, and mental comprehension. It's just saying, I understand it mentally, not physically doing something. Um... And I think if you get to the heart of any action, the action you want is a mental comprehension of God's Word and then something that follows. We again say, well, I've done this and I've, and I've always been like this in, in the Christian life and now I have an understanding. No, you've got to have a mental comprehension of what God wants and then it puts, puts, it's put into action. So the Ephesians are encouraged then to put together in their mind what God desires. Think about this. You have to say, I have to mentally be involved to figure out what God wants in my life and put it into play. I've got to take information in. Uh, To wise up, to be a wise believer, is to know what God's will is. And God's will is only in the Word of God and must be understood as such. So listen, this is important. Here's what Satan will inevitably tell us. You can do God's will and not be involved in the Word of God. You can, you can do it. You know what God wants. Do what God wants. Um, and, and he'll even give you view, viewpoint advantages from the Word of God by doing what? By you finding a verse that you misapply to your life. Or Satan will keep you from the Word of God. Sometimes the things in life 
that easily beset you and keep you away from it are just satanic. And it's not like you've got to plead you know, for the Lord to take Satan away and, and this and that. You've just, you just got to be... Listen, it's as, it's as simple as this. You've got to have a priority. And Satan can't... Listen, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a believer. Yes or no? You've got, the, you've got the armor necessary and the power to overcome anything Satan throws at you. But if you give in, you're in the lost column. And we're back to the same circle argument kind of thing, make decisions that make it easier for you to study the Word of God and spend time in God's Word so you can mentally put it together. Okay? So one of the things God wants us to do is mentally put His thoughts in our thoughts so we can put it together. So we can be what? Wise. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, now that I heard pages stop, verse 3 through 6. For this is the will of God. Does everybody have that first phrase in their Bible, right? For this is the will of God. So anything that follows, we've got to adhere to, right? Because this is God's will for your life. Know what he wants? He wants your sanctification. He wants you to grow in, in accord to your salvation. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. Uh... Sanctification deals with uh, the idea of set apart for use. Believe it or not, it's a 100% pagan word. It's a pagan word for anyone who could approach a deity uh, in the pagan world. For you to approach him, to be set apart to approach that deity. But God uses it, because it's a good word, to understand that you have to grow in Christ-likeness so you can, you can have that constant uh, rapport with him. And that's the best way uh, we can look at that. Um, so the broad sense of this word is God says, this is my will. I want you for my use. I want you for my use. Now think about that for a second. If this is God's will for your life, and somebody approaches you to do something in a church, or do something with a person that involves their growth or their, their spiritual uh, acumen, and you say, no, I gotta pray about that. You're just, you're, you're, you shouldn't be praying about it. You should be what? Doing it. That's it. There's not, there's not a pray about it. Cause God's already told you He wants you for His use. Uh, and one of the things that, that stops that is, and, and thwarts that, and we're gonna deal with this a little bit more next week. Not in this class, but in the second class. Um, is, is that you abstain, abstain from, uh, sexual immorality and, uh, better to understand that is the word pornea, anything that has to do with fornication. In other words, when you're involved in, in a, uh, how can I say this and be as clear in the audience I have, uh, when your mind's elsewhere, your mind can't be on God. Okay, you can't grow. Uh, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, this was, and it's kind of interesting because it's talking to the Thessalonians about, and I think the word Gentiles here could be best understood as the heathen because that's who Gentiles were considered at that time uh, biblically. So here's, here's what we've got to look at. Three different sides of this sanctification and aspects of it. And this isn't giving you everything that has to do with spiritual growth. It's God's will that you grow, okay? That, that he can use you uh, for anything. And what might it be? I don't know. What might it, as, as we look at this, well, here's an interesting thing. The Thessalonican church was basically stopping life and looking for the immediate return of Christ. So they weren't doing anything like, you can kind of think of them as lawn chair Christians. They're out in the lawn chairs looking up for Christ to return. And they really didn't have a, a, a passion of keeping with life and thinking that Christ may not return for 2,000 years. They said it was any minute. And, and Paul was dealing with their uh, way of life that was uh, basically um, become lazy. Um, 
So what we have here, first of all, there's positional sanctification. And what we basically say is true because of our union with Christ and our merits. We are positionally set apart of who we are in Christ. Christ is using us um, as an instrument. And sometimes uh, we, we're not even aware of how he's using us. But um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, his, the ultimate idea of sanctification is in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, if you want to turn over, but we're not going to go to it. Uh, uh, this is what happens to us entirely at the return of Christ. We are going to be changed in a mi- minute, and that will be it. Um, but what we have here, and I think we need to see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, is we have practical sanctification. It's conduct that sets us apart in regard to uh, how we handle our, our body. Okay, so we're going to talk about we're not going to talk about the sexual side, but how we handle our body is basically showing people we're different. Uh, you know, and and it's hard because the code at this time, uh, why are believe why is he why is he being very specific here? And I think this is questions that's good for Bible study. Why is Paul being so specific about sexual immorality uh, to abstain from it? Why is he being so specific? Well, here's what Greek philosophy was. You know, at this time and the time of human history, Greek philosophy was a big thing. And if you know one thing about Greek philosophy, don't ever take the class. If you're in college, just don't take the class. It's a waste of your money, waste of credits, and it's only going to tell you what? That the world was very immoral. Okay, And, it, and that was really good, because you were getting to know your real you. Uh, but they treated anything uh, that was we would call illicit behavior very lightly. Uh, People, their constant thinking pattern in Greek society was all around um, and surrounded by sex. I'm trying to, I can't, you guys got to do it with your kids, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Um, It was a society that was basically, anything goes. Uh, Does it sound familiar to anybody today? I mean, so I, that Greek philosophy that had a time period way back in the, in in first and second century, more than anything. Well, we can go BC uh, a couple of years, a couple hundred years BC, and I, but that licentiousness is catching up with us, isn't it? Uh, I I would look at Greek society today, and I think if you want to get anything out of it, you'll say, oh, that's America. You know. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a time, I don't know if you all remember this, Lucy and Desi had separate twin beds. Remember that? And you say, wow, that's really weird. You know, There was even a law in Hollywood, a man had to keep one foot, if he's in a bed, he had to keep one foot on the floor. Well, I don't know what that accomplished, but that was the rule in Hollywood. Now, kids, don't walk out of here and say, hey, I got something to pastor today, the rule in Hollywood. That was it. I got that. That's not the point. The point is our moral base has totally been scrapped. I don't know if you know that. Um, a, a Christian is so sadly influenced by society, it, it saddens me. Um, and um, we're going to deal with some things next week, but there's some things in the church that reflect the world. And you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. And I'm talking about the church in general, but it could be any church. Because we're, we we're reflecting the wrong thing. We're reflecting the world's morals because we're spending more time in it than in God's Word. And there's the danger right there. You know. And if you talk to the average, and I, maybe this is something for James at some point to do, uh, give him a homework assignment. But when you go to youth groups and, and around people and you say to them, oh, your kid's in a youth group, how much of the Bible are they being taught? And you'd be surprised, nothing. Or maybe a verse, or they have verses in these beautiful uh, graphics all over the building. They have ver- That's where we get our verses. Uh, yeah, that doesn't help anybody. That's nothing. Um, so when we talk about sanctification here, it is the right to have sexual conduct, anything opposing, uh, it, is, it is to have the right sexual conduct, excuse me, anything opposing this was, is not the will of God. And after all, don't Christians make some really dumb choices in this arena? Right? Yes or no? Come on. Let's, let's fess up. We all know this. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it actually says, flee from sexual immorality. I think that's a good thing to Christians to know. How do you get away from it? Run! Who said that first? And it wasn't Forrest Gump. Don't, don't ever say, run, Forrest, run. That was the first. No, the first person to say that was who? Joseph. There you go. Joseph, what did he do? Run! 
run. And Joseph was probably eh, 17, 18 years old. And he learned to do what? Run. And um, uh, Which is interesting because you've got to say why. Why is God picking on this? Why is he saying this? And I find this fascinating. Uh, well, first of all, we know that he's saying this will pull us away from our objective. Our objective is to do the will of God and be sanctified. And he says if you don't, if you abstain from sexual immorality, you're being pulled away from the objective. Right? We could say that. Secondly, uh, what sin is likened to sexual immorality? Just think about this for a minute. Because to, to perform anything is sexually immoral, you do it with your body. And that's in a class all by itself. So imagine you, 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 now somebody will come up inevitably and say, well, and we'll deal with this in the next class, sins of the tongue. Don't those, isn't that real life? A tongue's part of the body, right? Yeah, but that's not what's producing the sound. It's your brain and who you are. It's not the body. Body's being used as an instrument. Uh, But in this case, for this to be carried out, it violates God's purpose for the body because God's purpose for a believer's body is to what? Huh? when When you want to find a verse, what is the... Believer's body for it's to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're inviting somebody illicitly into that arena. And I think that's interesting. Uh, and and we got to understand, Christian is unlike the society in which he lives, in which his body lives in. He's different. Or she's different. Let's make it unilateral. Uh, look at verses 4 through 8. We're, we're, we're in First Thessalonians. Let's go back for... Uh, Go back and read the rest of it. Um, that um, Well, let's read the whole thing. Verse 3 through 8. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, your, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is avenger of all things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Okay? Verse 8, Consequently, he who rejects, this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So if you don't follow these rules of sanctification, you're rejecting God. That's not where a believer is going to ever be in God's will. So if you're rejecting God's sanctification, living a life that's immoral, guess what? And you're looking for God's will. God, is this your will that I marry this person? No, it's not. Stop that. Get your life straight, then go back and figure out, maybe it is. But you need to uh, put God first. First Thessalonians 5, let's go over, uh, like in my Bible, look over on the other side. Verse... Um, Let's start in verse 12. Now, I want you to understand something. From verse 16 on, these are all commands. I don't think we should ever take the commands of the Lord lightly. But verse 13, 12 says this, But we request of you, brethren, that you... Very emphatic, these words. We, very emphatically, request of you, very emphatically, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligent labor, labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give, give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So here's what we have. Here's the charges that God has given in commands. That you appreciate those who diligently labor. That means pastors, deacons, whoever, uh, that labor diligently among you, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. You know, um, I said this before, and I'm going to say this again. Uh, I expect people to come here to realize I'm the one that could teach you. Not the only one, but I am your teacher, your pastor. And if you come in here and say, well, you know, the last five things you said I don't agree with, and I'd never agree with you, and, and I find you repulsive, or whatever else you want to come up with, I'm not your pastor. Go somewhere else. I don't have a problem you going somewhere else. Um, we don't have to be the best of friends, but are you learning or growing? Uh, and that's what the Bible says. You are being a place that of, of someone who gives you instructions and has charge over you, and that you esteem them highly. In what? In love. Just think about that for a minute. Um, because of their work, not because of who they are, which is great, because or that they have great looks and they just emulate everything Brad Pitt means to me. Uh, that, but they they what? That they give you instruction. 
and you highly esteem them because of their work, live in peace with one another. So here we go. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. There's number one. If people are out of line, guess whose job it is to, to admonish them? And that doesn't mean be mean to them, but that means it's not my job, it's our job. Okay? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's an unruly brother that was in the church and the church knew about it and didn't handle it and they didn't condemn the pastor, they condemned the church. Because sometimes you all will know things I don't know. Right? Secondly, um, encourage the faint-hearted. So we got both things going on. Someone's unruly, we got to deal with them, admonish them, and if somebody's faint-hearted, we're to encourage them. I love encouragement, right? Don't you? Word of encouragement, a letter or something to say, hey, I'm there. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm also there if you need something. Help the weak. Not the meek. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. Boy, that's a kicker. I'm dead. Be patient with all men. That's a tough one, isn't it? See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all men. Not only seek what's good here. Okay, I want your good. I want your good. I want your good. But I want a good for anybody that's out there, and that's hard to do. But that's what God wants. Rejoice always. That ought to nail you, right? If you just say that, rejoice always, you just memorize a verse, but you've got to do what it says. It's a command. Pray without ceasing. And please don't close your eyes when you're driving with this one, but, but praying is basically an attitude of prayer, right? God brings somebody up in your mind, or you go someplace and you see something, pray. Just say, Lord, hey, take care of that person, Lord. I'm thinking of so-and-so. I don't know why it's in my thought pattern and what's going on, but lift them up in prayer. Uh, in everything, give thanks. Not just, hey, let's pray for the food. Uh, I also am a believer. Maybe you should pray after you eat, too. But Because uh, some of you would like the consequences to be less of your eating, right? So, Or the after effects of the poison. But uh, in everything, give thanks. Listen. Look what the end of verse 18 says. For this is the will of God for you in Christ. Now listen, this is so easy. If you do those things, guess what you're doing? You're doing the... Who said that? You had, you had 10 points. You're doing the will of God. And you're not doing the verse... And look at the next verse. Do not quench the Spirit. Everybody says, well, how do you quench the Spirit? You do you do the you don't do the things above there. You're quenching the spirit's work in life. Oh, you say, well, I'm not patient. I never help the weak. I don't encourage the faint-hearted. Well, you guess what? You're not doing God's will, and you've quenched the work of the spirit that can use you to do those things. You understand that? You put out the fire of the spirit. The spirit wants you to do those things. So here's a good checklist. Write them down and see how well you're doing. How well are you doing? Then he adds to another one in verse 20. Do not despise the prophetic utterances, but examining everything. We get, we're not going to do an examination of that, but basically it has to do with uh, how Scripture's taught and how Scripture's unveiled. But examine everything carefully. Wow, that's are you examining things carefully? You know, when we talk about God's Word, are you examining it carefully? We talk about words sometimes. We talk about phrases. We talk about a background. Do you examine it carefully? And hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Nobody's actually saying, now this is going to be hard, this is going to be the kicker. Do not sin. And you say, well, pastor, everybody sins. Yeah, but sometimes you choose to sin. Stop that. Sometimes you choose to be angry and, and hold something in a grudge again. Stop that. You understand? You can stop doing things. And you can do what? Sin less, sin less, sin less. And grow in that. You understand that. And identify. And here's the hard part. As you mature, you will identify sin more. Okay? And you've got to deal with it more. And in many places it says, stop it. I, I, don't, I don't think we get that. But Paul often says, put this aside. Peter says, put this off. Basically he's saying, stop it. Stop it. Don't you say that to your kids, any of you? you? You tell little Johnny, stop it! What are you asking him to do? Stop sinning! Stop it! And then you're going to say what? This is what I want you to do instead. You're going to sit here for five minutes. 
You know, we need to have believers time out sometimes. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I once had a guy come in my office years ago and he thinks he says, I think I'm falling in love with someone else. And I said, Stop it. He looked at me like, What? I go, Because I know what you're doing. Stop it. He says, I, I just can't. No, you don't want to. Stop it. And he ended up getting a divorce and marrying this water cooler girl, I called her. Sorry. <laughs> And his ex-wife ended up moving to North Dakota. I probably frozen somewhere up there. Um, but it was horrible. The, I, it was horrible. To see, and the consequences on the kids were horrific. And all he had to do was what? Stop it! Stop it! I know that sounds hard, but you know, stop it. God will give you the power because I've, I've read Romans chapter 6. Everybody read Romans chapter 6? Where we have the power in us to go, deal with sin and not to do that. We, which master you want to listen to? You want to listen to the sin that has mastery over you or God? Who has mastery over you? And if you're listening to the sin nature and allowing yourself to sin and continue in sin, your master is wrong. You're enslaved to sin. Okay? I know that's preaching. Sorry. But um, that's, that's where we're kind of at with this. So we have all these things uh, that, that deal with us and, and in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we've got to do. So we've got a whole wonderful checklist. And you say, well, well, pastor, I can't do those, some, of, some of those things. And I'm going to say, you're wrong. Because if God would give us a checklist like this, he's saying you can do this. And he's, he says, you're not doing it alone. You've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've got other people around you to say, well, I really have problems having patience. Now, I'm going to say this with patience real quick. Do not pray for patience. Do not. First of all, God, God says he's given you his patience. You've got to pray for God's patience. But if you pray for patience, God's going to put you in situations you're going to need patience. And he said, well, yeah, you want patience? Here, practice. And I think that goes for any of these. Uh, we already have the command to do it, and all we have to do is follow the command. So next week we'll pick up, we, I think we have a couple more verses, three or four more sets of verses I want to go into. But we'll pick up with them next week. Uh, if you want to, uh, you can do a search ahead of time on the explicit will of God. Let's pray. And there's coffee in the uh, fellowship hall, I think. I don't know what else is back there. But um, there'll be fellowship. It's the hall for it. Father, we thank you for this time again in your word. We, we uh, ask for your blessing upon us as we spend time growing in our knowledge feasting upon the Word, uh, getting a better understanding every day of what you, what your plan is for us and how it involves us and to be uh, used by you, Father. We just want to be your people that are instruments uh, with giving out foremost the gospel and living out the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.